This is episode 246 of the AWS podcast, released on June 3rd, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lee Shear here with you, and awesome to have you back. Now, uh, eagle-eared listeners will have noticed that the podcast has a new introduction, a brief, uh, slightly English, slightly electronic voice, uh, which is Amazon Polly, and she is telling you what date the particular episode is released on and the episode number. This was in response to some uh, listener feedback where people who listened in the car wanted to get a better view of when that episode came out and um, what it is. So hopefully that's helped. It's actually an automated part of my release process. So uh, it gets uh, prepended, I guess is the word you would use, onto the episode uh, just as it's released. So it gives you the right uh, date and number. So hopefully that's useful. Speaking of useful, I have so many things to share with you today. It's pretty exciting to be able to do that. So uh, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right into it. And we're going to start at the database layer and a really new cap- a really cool new capability, I should say, uh, for Amazon Aurora, which is something called Backtrack. And uh, I will resist the uh, desire to sing if I could turn back time song because uh, no one wants to hear that. But basically what you can do is you can now set a window of how far back in time you would like to go, anything up to 72 hours. And Aurora will try to retain enough log information to support that window of time. What this means is that when things go wrong, and let's face it, in time to time they do, you can say backtrack your database cluster. And you can choose the specific point in time that you want to backtrack to. Now, essentially you have to pause your application when you do the backtrack, but then you can basically proceed as if you're going from that point, which is pretty exciting. So there's a new state in which Aurora will be in, which is called backtrack. And this enables you to essentially backtrack the database to a point in time, which is very, very nice. Now, the nice thing is, is if you backtrack too far, you can backtrack to a later time, which I'm not sure if you would call that forward tracking, but essentially you can kind of slide into that time window. So you can imagine there's lots of different things you could use this capability for. So it's pretty exciting for Aurora users, or if you're interested in using Aurora, this is probably a good reason to start. Another change related to Aurora is that you can now configure the MySQL compatible edition of Amazon Aurora to publish general logs, slow query logs, and error logs to the Amazon CloudWatch logs. Uh, Previously, you could only do the audit logs. So now you get a better visibility of what's going on from a performance perspective. A great tip is to set alarms for events to show when you're having very long running queries going on so that you can take action, fix the problem, et cetera. So more performance visibility than ever before. Now, if you're not just using Aurora, but using Amazon RDS, Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports the new X1 and X1e instance types. Now, these are some pretty beefy instance types with up to 128 vCPUs and 1,952 gigabytes of DRAM-braced memory. Uh, The X1e instances uh, give you up to 128 vCPUs and 3,904 gigabytes of memory. And they both have 25 gig of peak network bandwidth. So what you'd get is a lot of performance. So if your database would benefit from that sort of performance profile, then these instance types are now available for you to use. Another RDS change is for Amazon RDS 
for PostgreSQL. And now read replicas on Amazon RDS for Postgres or PostgreSQL, however you want to say it, now supports outbound network access. So you can now execute queries using the Postgres FDW extension to access remote servers. Now you could always do this on the primary instance. Now you can do it on read replicas, which means that by offloading read-only queries, you can do that to remote read replicas and reduce your resource utilization on your primary instance. And that's always a good thing to do. And speaking of uh, Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL, there is now the Amazon RDS database preview environment for that particular database engine type. And what this allows customers to do is to easily test beta release candidates and early production versions of the PostgreSQL database engine software with the convenience and the flexibility of Amazon RDS. So you can get things going within days or weeks of new versions becoming available rather than waiting for the full production rollout. This is useful for development, beta testing, and other pre-checks before you roll into a production hardened instance and gives you more ability to see what changes might do for your application in terms of supportability and new capabilities, etc. And another change on the RDS side is you can now modify SQLnet.ora parameters if you're using RDS Oracle. Now, I remember SQLnet from my developer days all too well. And they have the ability to update those parameters like you would update other parameters normally on RDS. Uh, you can do it using two different ways. You can use the pending reboot way, so change it when the next reboot takes place, or immediate, which makes it happen immediately. Lots more information in the show notes about that one, which is pretty cool. Now... One database I haven't mentioned is IBM DB2, and that's another database I've used uh, in the past as well. I'm building up quite a collection of them. And the good news is that AWS Database Migration Service DMS and the AWS Schema Conversion Tool, SCT, now allow you to convert and migrate IBM DB2 databases on Linux, Unix, and Windows to any DMS-supported target. This can help you move from your legacy database into something more modern very, very quickly. Uh, it allows you to migrate the schema and the data itself quickly and securely. Lots and lots of combinations available. So if you're looking to uplift your database capability and put it into the cloud, this is a good way to do it. Another change that also affects the AWS database migration service is it now supports the R4 instance type. And these are a memory optimized instance type. These are useful for migrations or ongoing replications. And basically these instance types have more memory per vCPU and can be really useful for replicating workloads that are memory bound. And these tend to be those which have a very high transactions per second ratio and need to be migrated in near real time. So now you can choose between the burstable T2 type, the compute optimized C4 instance, and the memory optimized R4 instances as well. And there is guidance on which one to choose and when. Now I mentioned the need to monitor your query performance earlier on in relation to Aurora. Uh, Amazon Redshift also adds new CloudWatch metrics to allow you to visualize your cluster performance. So now you can see your query throughput and your query duration. And this allows you to give you those insights that you need to adjust your workload settings and make sure you're balancing your workload appropriately. And you can use the Amazon Redshift Workload Manager, WLM, configuration to allow you to configure how to best meet the needs and the changing needs on your database. So I've talked a lot about data so far. I'm going to continue a little bit with that theme, which is uh, some change to the support on AWS Storage Gateway VTL. There is now support for Nova Store Data Center. If you're, so if you're using version 6 or 7, you can use that with the Tape Gateway Virtual Tape Library configuration. And this lets you send all your tape backups 
to the AWS Storage Gateway, which gets stored on highly durable Amazon S3 storage. You can also easily archive those backups to Amazon Glacier for long-term retention in a very durable and low-cost storage platform. So this gives you a very cost-effective way to store lots of information, supports lots of different backup technologies, and now NovaStore Data Center is a new one that it supports as well. And for a different take on data, what about a management of data objects and identifying those data objects? Well, Amazon Macy is a service that allows you to do that really, really easy. And a new dashboard is now available for that particular service, making it easy for you to identify any Amazon simple storage service buckets that are accessible to the internet, as well as Amazon S3 objects with overly permissive access permissions. So it'll kind of jump right out at you and you can see what's going on. Now, just to remind you, Amazon Macy is a security service that automatically discovers, classifies, and protects sensitive data in AWS. It constantly monitors your data access activity, looks for anomalies, and gives you alerts when private data is made publicly accessible. Now, this service is currently available in US East North Virginia and US West Oregon, so it's a good place to have a look at that capability as well. Now, let's shift gears from the data side of the house to the compute side of the house, and let's hit a whole lot of EC2 updates that have taken place. Uh, one I know a lot of our customers have been waiting for is a new capability called Optimize CPUs for Amazon EC2 Instances. Now, this feature gives you much greater control over your EC2 instance on two fronts. Firstly, you can specify a custom number of vCPUs when launching new instances, which can help you save on vCPU-based licensing costs. And secondly, you can disable Intel hyper-threading technology, the HT technology, for workloads that perform better with single-threaded CPUs, things like HPC applications. Now, this type of requirement often comes in the, the turning off of the vCPUs for database workloads like Oracle, Oracle and SQL Server on EC2, where you might want high memory, storage, and I.O. bandwidth, but you don't want a high vCPU count because these things aren't typically compute bound. So this gives you lots of options into how you do things. And you can uh, ch check or, or set the number of CPUs that you want, uh, and it allows you to optimize your BringWine license, uh, licensing cost to one that really uh, appeals in terms of the number of cores you really need versus the number of cores you had to have to get the other elements you want. So let me give you an example. Let's say you were spinning up an EC2 X1 instance. Uh, you can launch an X1 E4X large with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, or 14 vCPUs. So you have lots and lots of choice. So this is a really nice thing that you can do on different instance types. Now, it's a subset of the family that supports this, so check the show notes for the details. But if you are in a situation where maybe you haven't deployed an application because the CPU pricing was too high for you because you're bringing your own license, this is the way to make that a lot more efficient and cost-effective for you. Another pretty significant change in the world of uh, EC2 is the general availability of Amazon EC2 bare metal instances. Now, these instance types give you direct access to the processor and memory resources of the underlying server. When might you want to use this? Well, if you have a workload that needs direct access to a hardware feature set, maybe uh, Intel VTX is an example of that, uh, or for applications that have to run in a non-virtualized environment for licensing or support requirements, you now have bare metal instances that are built on the Nitro system. Now, this is a collection of AWS-built hardware offload and server protection components that really enable high-performance networking, security, and storage resource access very, very easily and efficiently. Now, these are generally available as part of the storage-optimized 
I3 instance family in the form of I3 Metal instances. Now, that is a very cool name, I have to say. Uh, the I3 Metal instances have a 2.3 gigahertz Intel Xeon processor combination with 36 hyper-threaded cores, 72 logical processors, 512 gig of memory, and 12.2 terabytes of M NVMe SSD backed storage. Uh, you also get very high throughput, low latency networking with up to 25 gig of aggregate network bandwidth using elastic network adapters, ENAs. So you get lots and lots of options there. Now these i3 instances, i3 instances, very hard to say, uh, are available in AWS US East North Virginia, US East Ohio and US West Oregon, as well as Europe Frankfurt and Europe Island regions. You can get them on demand or reserved instances or even as spot instances, which is very nice. Now, if all this uh, talk of EC2 is getting you excited and you want to try some stuff with EC2, well, there's a new capability called Amazon EC2 Fleet. And this is a new feature that simplifies the provisioning of EC2 capacity across different Amazon EC2 instance types, availability zones, and across on-demand EC2 reserved instances and spot purchase models. Basically, with one API call, you can now provision capacity across EC2 instance types and across purchase models to get exactly the scale, performance, and cost that you want. And you set a whole lot of little dials. Again, the uh, details are in the show notes, and you get the outcome you want, which can save you a lot of time. I know there's a lot of customers who will be very excited about this because they can retire some logic and code that they may have had in the past to do this because now it can be done with a simple API call. Now, it's been a good episode so far for new Amazon EC2 instance type, so let's keep it going. The C5D instance, that's a little case D or lowercase d, uh, and these are C5 instances that are equipped with local NVMe-based SSD block-level storage physically connected to the host server. So if you have applications that need to have high-speed, low-latency local storage, so things like video encoding, image manipulation, typically any sort of media processing. This is really useful. Also really useful for temporary storage of data such as batch and log processing or caches and scratch files, etc. These make uh, make it even faster. So this is if you're a, a C5 user, um, you can now take advantage of NVMe-based SSD instance types as well, which gives you even more performance and faster is often better uh, in, when it comes to server performance. Another small change for Amazon EC2 is spot instances now support Red Hat bring your own license. So if you want to bring your own license to your spot instances, you can. <laughs> That's about all there is to it, which is pretty cool. And the lucky last update from an EC2 perspective today is that you can now get the latest console output on EC2 instances throughout the life cycle of the Amazon EC2 instance. Now, in the past, you're probably very familiar with that you could get uh, those console outputs during state transition events. Uh, start, stop, terminate, reboot, etc. Now you can get the latest console output. So you can see what's going on in your running instance as well. And this might feed into some diagnostics or other work you're doing. Again, a small change, but something quite meaningful if you need to do this kind of diagnostic work. However, if you say, Simon, I've moved away from virtual machines and servers, I'm in the containerization world. Well, I have some nice news for you. The Amazon ECS service now, uh, Service Discovery, I should say, now supports bridge and host container networking modes. So this allows you to discover and connect ECS tasks that use bridge and host networking mode in addition to the AWS VPC networking mode. So essentially more choice, more options, and more ways you can do things. 
The other nice thing that's changed is that Amazon ECS now adds SSM parameters support for launching ECS optimized EC2 instances using AWS CloudFormation. Basically, you can launch EC2 instances with the latest ECS optimized AMI, and you can use a SSM parameter in CloudFormation to make this possible. Sounds more complicated than when I say it that way, but it's actually pretty straightforward and makes things nice and easy. Link in the show notes. If you use that combination of technologies, that will be a good thing. Another technology many people use is AWS Elastic Beanstalk, and it now supports Apache Tomcat version 8.5 and Apache HTTP Server version 2.4. Keeping it up to date, keeping with more modern levels of software, a good way to do a rolling upgrade, upgrade and update as well. Elastic Beanstalk also now has support for health events in Amazon CloudWatch logs, and these get streamed to those logs so you can review and debug the historical health changes of your running application as well. So that gets you in a better position to actually manage your environment on an ongoing basis. Let's continue to talk uh, on the network side of things. A new feature that I really, really like in the application load balancer is it now supports a slow start mode that lets you add new targets without kind of blowing them up with too much traffic at one time. Often particular targets might need to gradually uh, accept new connections to build up an internal cache Uh, or to essentially get into a performant mode before they can cope with their fair share of requests. Now you can use what's called slow start, where you can set a duration of 30 seconds up to 15 minutes, and the load balancer will linearly increase the number of requests sent to a new target in a target group up to its fair share during this ramp-up window. This is a really nifty way to have a more graceful ramp up for those applications that kind of can't tolerate the big whack of traffic in one fell swoop. The application load balancer and the network load balancer also now both support resource and tag-based permissions. So this gives you much more granular control and fine-grained access over your load balancers using IAM policies. So now you can be very, very specific about the load balancer resources identified by its ARN or tags. And this is supported by all types of load balancer resources. So load balancer, listener, rule, and target groups as well. So A nice bit of flexibility there in terms of your security posture. Speaking of security posture, the Amazon Simple Queue service, one of my favorite services, good old venerable SQS helps us build good applications. Well, server-side encryption is now available in 13 additional regions. So now you can encrypt all the way through uh, in your queue and there is no additional charge for using Amazon SQS encrypted queues. So the encryptedness comes at no charge. So really, if you're putting any sensitive data through your queues, encrypt away. It's all there now there for you. So it's time to talk a little bit of CloudFormation and CloudFormation has some new capabilities. Firstly, it now supports AWS budgets as a resource for templates, stacks, and stack sets. So you can build your budget out using your CloudFormation templates and incorporate them as part of your automated infrastructure deployment. So you may have a template that provisions new accounts and you can now add budgets to those accounts at build time. So this is really nice if you're trying to build running rails for your users to help keep them uh, in control around budgets. This allows you to automate that. CloudFormation also now supports FIPS 140-2 validated API endpoints in US regions, which is very relevant. If you need that security level of support, you can now automate the creation of those. And you can now also create uh, AWS auto-scaling scaling plans using AWS CloudFormation as well. So if a scaling plan is something you want to automate and build, 
you can now do that. What about uh, the mobile SDK? Well, now Amazon Translate is supported in the AWS mobile SDK for both Android and iOS. Now, Amazon Translate is a neural machine translation service that gives you fast, high quality and affordable language translation. So now you can make those API calls directly from the mobile SDK, which means you can use it for cross-lingual communication, uh, live chat, online reviews, forum content. Really, the options are endless, limited only by your imagination. So you can now take advantage of that on the go. So how are you traveling with me? Are you still there? <laughs> this is going to be a longer episode because there are so many cool new things to share with you and I'll continue to do so. So another new one is that Amazon AppStream 2.0 now supports supports controlling file movement, clipboard behavior and printing. So AppStream 2.0 is a streaming technology to allow to stream desktops and so now our applications that present on desktops, you can now control, so you can enable, limit or disable the clipboard file transport for or print to local device options as well. You can also programmatically manage these through the API as well. So lots of choices there. Another service that is really useful for customers is Amazon Inspector, which allows you to check the security profile of Amazon EC2 instances. Now in the past, you had to tag your particular EC2 instances. Now you can create targets that include all EC2 instances without having to tag them as well. So you can simply say, just give me everything that you want to tag. Now, remember, uh, it is a maximum of 500 instances in a single assessment. However, you can do multiple assessments and cover everything. And after all, why wouldn't you? Now, continuing to talk security, AWS organizations, the console for that particular service is now available in eight new languages. So you now can get it in French, Korean, simplified and traditional Chinese, Japanese, German, Italian, Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. So this is now nine languages because English was available. So this gives you far more choice in terms of using your native language when setting up organizations. Continuing more on the security side, Amazon Cognito now supports the ability to add custom OIDC providers. So you can now integrate uh, into OpenID very, very easily and make it very simple to integrate to things like Salesforce, Ping Identity, etc. Okay, let's talk a little office automation. Uh, if you use Alexa for business, it now has the Alexa Smart Scheduling Assistant. You may say scheduling, I say scheduling. And uh, this is where it lets Alexa manage your users' calendars. So users can now schedule their one-to-one -one meetings and move meetings in their calendar using their voice. They can also automatically have it look for free time for meeting attendees' calendars. So basically, you don't have to check it yourself. You just say, hey, Alexa, schedule a meeting with John, and it'll find the time to do it for you, which is really nifty. Now, another automation tool you might use is Amazon Chime, which allows you to do conferencing, etc. Now, as well as having a mobile app and a desktop app, it now has a new web application that allows you to have full access to join meetings from any supported browser, including those running on Linux or Chrome OS without downloading or installing a client application. So this means you can be more connected in more places with more devices without having to download software, which is a nice little thing. Back to the multilingual side of things, the AWS Secrets Manager console is now available in Italian and traditional Chinese. So customers who want to use that language uh, are now uh, catered for. And now the Secrets Manager console is available in 10 languages, English, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Portuguese, simple Chinese, Spanish, and traditional Chinese as well. So lots of linguistic choices there. A few other little changes to bear in mind. Amazon Inspector now supports Amazon Linux 2018.03 and Ubuntu 18.04 
long-term support or LTS. Now, this service again is really useful for scanning for common vulnerabilities and exposures, security best practices, runtime behavior analysis. It is something you should be running in your environment because that makes you more secure. You may say, but Simon, I don't run servers anymore. I'm all serverless and I love using AWS Step Functions. Well, guess what? Uh, it now supports higher throughput workflows. So it means you can have easier coordination of applications with higher event rates and variable loads. So throughput has now increased from 400 state transitions per second to 1,000 transition states transitions per second uh, with a burst capacity of 5,000 tra state transitions. You'd think I'd learn how to say that by now, wouldn't you? But you know what? It's been a long episode so far. We're keeping on going. So the default rate for the step function state machine has also uh, been increased from 25 per second to 200 per second with a burst capacity of 1,000 starts in select regions. Short answer of all this is more performance, uh, more capability. This feature is available in US East, North Virginia, US West, Oregon, and EU Ireland. Uh, lots more regions where Step Functions is available. Check the show notes for the details on this particular change. Now, do you program Alexa skills and do you like Alexa's voice or do you want her to have a different voice? Well, there is now a new developer preview that allows you to use Amazon Poly Voices in Alexa skills. So in the developer preview, you can use eight English US Amazon Poly Voices for your skills. So this is a new thing that you can apply to try out and see if it's useful to you. And speaking of developers, there are some really cool changes in the uh, support tooling for developers. Firstly, AWS Code Commit now lets you restrict who can commit changes to the master branch or any branch of your choosing. So you have a very granular control over that. Now, there's a whole blog post about this that's worth reading just to understand how branching fits in and the security over branching fits in. But more control is a good thing. And now you have it. Now, for those customers who are building applications for Windows, AWS Code Build now has support for Windows builds. I know a lot of customers have been waiting for that one. Uh, so it now supports builds for the Microsoft Windows Server platform, and it includes a prepackaged build environment for .NET Core 2.0 on Windows. Uh, in the past, we supported .NET Core on Linux, so now you can do Windows end-to-end. -end. So this is really great for people who are building their Windows environments. AWS Code Build also now supports a VPC endpoints. So this means you can access your code build connectivity without any public IP addresses being required to send traffic to the code build service. So it doesn't leave the Amazon network in any way, shape or form. So again, a new capability available to you right now. And the code build team have been busy because they now also support local testing and debugging. So in the past, you would have to fully configure and run code build. Now you can simulate a code build environment locally so that you can quickly troubleshoot commands and settings and get your build spec file working and away you go. Another change in the CodeStar family is that AWS Code Pipeline now supports push events from GitHub via webhooks. So if you are a GitHub user, uh, you can now push the event rather than doing the previous solution, which was a periodic check that Code Pipeline would do. So you can now have those webhooks kicking off an action straight away. Some really good code and example of how to set that up are available in the show notes as well. Now, if you're a developer and you've been building serverless, you might have tried the uh, AWS serverless application model or SAM, and you probably use the SAM CLI, uh, also referred to as SAM local, which lets you locally build, test, and debug a serverless application before it goes and lives in the cloud. Well, now there's the new command, the SAM init command that will initiate or initialize a ready-to-deploy SAM application in your preferred runtime. 
So it uses the recently open source SAM implementation and allows you to deploy any sort of pre-built version that you want up and running so you sort of have the framework with which to start with, which makes things nice and quick and easy. I've gone through this whole episode without talking about really machine learning or GPUs, so let's change that. Uh, there is now an optimized TensorFlow 1.8 available as part of the AWS Deep Learning AMIs, and this is specifically to accelerate training on the EC2 C5 and P3 instances, so you get even better performance to take advantage of the very powerful servers and GPUs that you have available to you. Uh, so different uh, benchmarks will respond differently to the different performance profiles, but we've seen examples of seven times faster in certain cases, just as an example of one particular use case. So in all likelihood, if you're using those technologies, you'll probably get some performance benefits uh, if you leverage those capabilities. Now, managing your environment is an important thing. And the AWS Systems Manager helps you do that, helps you patch, monitor, and manage. Now, in a single click, you can get all new and existing managed instances within a region in your AWS account to configure to collect inventory using the AWS Systems Manager inventory service. And they'll automatically start getting all that information for you with just one click rather than having to do any complicated setup. Again, more visibility is a good thing, so this will help you with that. Question, do you use Amazon Workspaces? Do you use an iPad? And do you want to use a mouse? Well, now you can control your Amazon Workspaces environment running on your iPad when you use a SwiftPoint GT mouse. This means you can click and move and swipe all around, uh, which is pretty nice. So again, if that's a combination you use, this change will be interesting to you. On the other hand, if you use Lambda at the Edge and you want to use Node.js version 8.1.0, uh, well, you can. Uh, and this uh, is in addition to the existingly supported version 6.10 runtime as well. Now, the good thing is Node.js version 8.10 is the current long-term support version of Node. It uses the new V8 6.0 engine, so better performance, uh, some new features including async and await, uh, some better asynchronous operations uh, handling, some cleaner code, better non-blocking calls, lots of new features. It's now available at Lambda at the edge, so you can take advantage of that straight away. If you like to build games and you're using uh, Lumberyard, there is lots of updates to the Lumberyard beta. In fact, beta 1.14 has over 200 improvements, fixes, and new features, has a major update to the engine's visual scripting environment, some new component entries, and lots, lots more, including the wind volume component, which is always important <laughs> when you want to have uh, volumes affected by the wind. I love the stuff that game developers have to worry about. It's really, really fascinating. Also has support for Visual Studio 2017, if that's something you use. So lots and lots of changes there for you. Now, another question. Do you have IoT devices? Do you have lots of IoT devices? Well, do you want to monitor them in real time? You now can. Uh, in fact, you can monitor them in real time with Kinesis Data Analytics. Now, this allows you to stream the information from AWS IoT using a rule that sends your device data into Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose, which then archives the data in Amazon S3 and also sends it to an Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics application that gives you metrics in real time. It also uses Amazon DynamoDB to durably store the computed data. There's a customizable dashboard. You can visualize things in real time. Very, very nice way to see what's going on at scale. Now, if you're into IoT, uh, you may be interested in the IoT device simulator. Now, this allows you to create and simulate hundreds of virtual connected devices 
without actually having to configure and manage those devices or create time-consuming scripts. In fact, I'm well overdue for saying that this eliminates undifferentiated heavy lifting. Uh, so you can use this really, really effectively to do testing. And in fact, it comes with a pre-built automotive module that you can simulate vehicle telemetry with as well. So you can actually see how it works. Very, very useful. Uses a number of Amazon solutions under the covers and AWS components. Won't get into the details because the podcast has already gone so long, but this is a good way to get your testing up and running. Now, if you are into IoT, you're probably interested in free ATOS and Expressive Systems ESP32 is now qualified for that particular piece of open source software. So if you use those microcontrollers, you can use it, uh, free ATOS on that, which gives you more, more choice. Now, if you're a game developer, you probably uh, looked at Amazon Game Lift as well. And this helps you deploy, scale, and manage your dedicated game servers in the cloud. And this is really hard in uh, multiplayer environments. And so one of the nice things that's now available is target tracking for auto-scaling. This allows you to eliminate the need to have complex auto-scaling rule sets and just optimize your available server capacity by simply setting a target for the steady state percentage of available game sessions. And this will then add or remove server capacity as needed to keep you at the right percentage. And it can allow you to adjust for fluctuating patterns without having to do any complicated things. Now let's go back to security and storage. And some good news if you have encrypted Amazon EBS volumes using a custom CMK or a customer managed key. And now the snapshots that you do are now incremental. And what this means is that when you make a new snapshot, only the modified chunks compared to the previous copy of the same EBS snapshot are saved in the new copy. This does two things. It minimizes the time required to make the snapshot and it saves on storage costs by not duplicating data for the snapshots that have already got data stored for them. You don't have to do anything. It just works as it, as it goes. You can just use it, but instead you're saving money and saving space and saving time which is a good thing. Okay, I think we're on the home stretch here. So let me give you a whole bunch of little changes that you can dive into if they're of interest to you. So firstly, Amazon Guard Duty, which is something you should have switched on. In fact, go stop listening to the podcast and go turn it on right now. Uh, it allows you to now automatically archive your findings uh, when creating a findings filter. So this is useful if you have something that generates lots of similar findings or you've reviewed a certain class of findings and you don't want to be alerted again. So this is about usability of that particular capability. Another new change is you can automatically monitor your reserved instance coverage using AWS budget alerts. So you can now make sure that you're using the RIs that you want to be using and that you're getting the most value for money from your RIs, which is really important. Now, if you're doing real-time data streaming, uh, something that will be interesting to you is that Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose allows you to support Amazon, Apache Parquet and Apache Orc formats as well. Now, these are formats that let you store and query data more efficiently and cost-effectively. Now you can have Kinesis Data Firehose automatically convert data into Parquet or Orc before delivering into the bucket. No coding, and you can immediately use Amazon Athena and Amazon Redshift Spectrum on that data. So it's a really, 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 that's three reallys, handy change because I know how much coding is required behind the scenes to make that happen and to not have to do it is really, really beneficial. 
Now, if you are an Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics user, you can now monitor your application using the new Amazon CloudWatch KPU usage metric, which shows you the number of Kinesis processing units or KPUs consumed by your application. Now, this is a unit of stream processing capacity and it's comprised of four gig of memory, one vCPU compute and some corresponding network capabilities. This allows you to kind of track how much you're using and when, and you can view it in near real time using Amazon CloudWatch. A few more useful little changes that have taken place. If you use Amazon Elastic MapReduce EMR, you can now use it with the M5 general purpose and C5 compute optimized EC2 instances. So that gives you more choices in terms of how you build your clusters. If you use ThinkBox Deadline, the latest release supports 3ds Max 2019 and View 2016. Uh, you can also launch fleets using EC2 Spot Fleet with AWS Portal. You can now launch those fleets across all availability zones in the region that the infrastructure is launched in. And you can also add specific groups and or pools to the instances as well. So lots of changes going on there. Now, I haven't uh, talked about cost savings that much, so let's fix that. Uh, if you use Amazon Elasticsearch, uh, there is now additional cost savings available with reserved instances. So you can reserve instances for the C4, M4, R4, and I3 instance families, and you can do a one or three-year commitment, all upfront, partial upfront, and no upfront as well. So if you want to save some money on your Elasticsearch, you can do that. And I do like to talk about price reductions. And so the price for Amazon EC2 H1 instances in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, and Europe Island are reducing by 15%. So yet another price reduction for both on-demand and reserved instance pricing as well. We do like to pass cost savings onto our customers. And that's another great example of that taking place for you. Few more things to go. Uh, if you're an AWS Service Catalog customer, then you can now copy your products across regions. So you can build it in one region and send it to another region. This is useful if you're operating an international enterprise and want to have that consistency there. You can now also now with AWS Service Catalog chain the launch of multiple products. So you can chain things together to have lots and lots more flexibility in how you build the products you present to your end users as well. If you're an Amazon DynamoDB user and you want to do encryption, guess what? The Amazon DynamoDB encryption client is now available in Python, which is handy for me because that's what I use at the moment myself. Uh, it is now available for you to use and it's designed especially for DynamoDB applications. It includes secure encryption and signing. It allows you to use cryptographic materials from any source and you don't have to use AWS or any AWS service to take advantage of it. A couple of quick changes for AWS Config. It now supports changes that are made in AWS X-Ray, so you can track when someone has made a change to your AWS X-Ray configuration. It also now supports AWS Lambda as well, so you can see if people have changed their Lambda environment uh, ad hoc. And if you've stuck with me to the end, the lucky last two updates to share with you in this particular episode, AWS Amplify, which is a really useful JavaScript library uh, to build applications very, very quickly. It now introduces service worker capabilities that allow you to have progressive web apps. Now, a progressive web app is a application that gives you a web-based experience uh, with native life features. So basically, it's like a web app, but you can host them. They can be available offline. Uh, you might install them to the home screen or a browser. You may get push notifications and you can also perform background tasks. If you haven't played with AWS Amplify, it's really worth doing. Going to look at doing a more detailed uh, podcast on that topic some stage soon, but certainly the new service worker capabilities help you build much better applications. 
And lucky last, you may remember that we announced Amazon Sumerian a while back. It is now generally available. This is a managed service that lets developers create and publish augmented reality, virtual reality, and 3D applications quickly and easily without any specialized programming or 3D graphics expertise. You get an integrated development environment, an editor, an asset library, APIs, virtual characters. You can do a whole bunch of stuff. And really, it's designed to create once and publish widely. Uh, so if that's something you want to use, it is now generally available. Whew. I don't know about you, <laughs> but that was a long episode. A good one. Lots of cool stuff. If there was not something in there for you in that episode, I'd love to hear about what it is because we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.